So um, it is 5.02. We'll call the budget and personnel meeting to order. Um, first, I will read the open meeting. Please be advised that on Tuesday, March 16th, 2021, from 5 to 6 p.m., there will be a personnel and budget subcommittee meeting health remote participation via Zoom, pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law in the governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting of the Memphis School Committee will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and our parties with the right and or requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Memphis website. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media websites an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. The meeting can be viewed through Medford Community Media on Comcast Channel 15 and Verizon 45 from 5 to 6 p.m. Since the meeting will be held remotely, participants can log or call in by using the following link or call in number 1312-6266-799. Um, all right, so that is that. So now for, I will take a quick roll call. Member Kretz? Here. Member Vandekloot? Present. Member Mastone, I am here. And now to move on to the agenda, we have one item on the agenda regarding the um, budget hearings and dates. So I will turn it over to Mr. Murphy. Thank you, Ms. Mastone, uh, and thank you members of the committee for having us here this evening. Uh, I'm going to share with you a brief uh, deck that will um, be a continuation of the discussion that we held uh, not at the most recent school committee meeting, but at the uh, prior regular meeting of the school committee uh, in which we discussed um, both the closeout of fiscal year 2021 uh, and uh, preparation for fiscal year 2022. So um, if that's okay with you for me to proceed to that, again, it's only two or three slides long talking about the timeline and about the process that we're currently anticipating going through. Um, it'll be a process that I will be uh, will involve uh, members of the district leadership team um, and uh, culminating with a series of, of public hearings uh, consistent with the request of the school committee at that previous meeting. And so, uh, and parts of this will be discussed at your upcoming regular uh, school committee meeting on March 22nd, although that will focus more on um, closing out fiscal year uh, 21 as opposed to um, fiscal year uh, 22, which is more or less what we're just what we're discussing tonight. So uh, first, with regard, um, various people are commenting on the budget, various forums right now. Um, so first, with regard to the timeline, and the committees of the whole that the school committee requested, um, right now, we're anticipating uh, six separate budget hearings via a committee of the whole. Um, the six umbrella categories that will run from April 27th through May 12th will be broken up uh, via uh, operations and um, some of the in, in instructional areas of the district. Um, these public discussions will be preceded by an internal process in which uh, department heads will be meeting with 
uh, Michelle Kingdon, our district comptroller, who's on the call tonight, and myself, along with uh, the leadership team supervisors, to talk through the various pr priorities and how um, they're woven together to form the district's uh, operational and, and strategic budgetary priorities. Uh, I'm gonna, I can, th there's obviously not a lot of content on here, so I'm inclined to just uh, scroll through and then um, stop the screen share and take uh, questions and, and we have a discussion. So if that's okay with you, I'm gonna, um, just for, by way of background, the, our working uh, thesis right now, as we go into the fiscal 20, fiscal year of 2022 budgetary process is thinking about a core goal of repairing, rebuilding, and reaffirming. And what we mean by that is we know that there are learning gaps that have been created or exacerbated as a result of the pandemic. And while there's no, we're not gonna create a special account and that's gonna be the funds by which we bridge those gaps and eliminate those gaps. Uh, but that is going to be our overarching strategy to make sure that uh, students, particularly the, our uh, high need and most vulnerable learners don't feel the effects of this uh, disruption in their educational process uh, any longer than they need to. And we, I think most of us have seen uh, various studies and research that has come out um, suggesting that the implications of the pandemic from an educational perspective uh, could be potentially uh, lifelong for some of the students that have, have been affected. And so what we're thinking about is what are the uh, intensive interventions that we can employ to try to uh, rebuild as quickly as possible and situate our students back to uh, where they were prior to this disruption. And then also think about what are the systems and structures that potentially were already antiquated before this disruption that we can uh, begin to, to look at in a new way and see how we can uh, build a school system that is well positioned uh, for the future. Some of the challenges that we're expecting as we go into this budget season, and, and frankly, I think it's a set of challenges yeah, that I mean, will be, I'm sorry. Sorry. That's right. Sorry, I've gone on one of my kids. Oh, no problem. Um, so one of the, uh, the, the sets of challenges that will uh, outlive this immediate rebuilding period uh, is the idea that um, we're anticipating a significant injection of additional funds. We were already prepared as we reported to the school committee some time ago for a $2.3 million influx that will be spread out over the next couple of fiscal years as a result of the ESSER II grant and through the federal legislation uh, that passed in recent weeks or days, uh, we're expecting both at the district level and potentially for the city of Medford, a substantial injection of funding, um, but it's one-time funding. It's a, it's a potentially significant amount of funding where our estimates right now, are, our ESSER three allocation will be in the vicinity of $4 million, but it's $4 million that is, that is essentially one-time funds intended to be spread out over a period of time. And so that will require us uh, to think strategically about how can we address the goals that we just, that we just talked about in terms of rebuilding and repairing and, and reaffirming the, our strategies that we know work for our high need and most vulnerable learners in a way that does not create fiscal cliffs. And if those of you have been through um, some previous budget uh, times and, and, and budget crises, you know that we generally want to commit reoccurring funds to reoccurring expenses. 
And so while we will benefit from the federal legislation and the injection of funding that will come with it, uh, we have to be mindful as we set up staffing structures um, in a way that we don't create systems that are essentially designed to fail because in a short period of time, the funding won't be there to support. Uh, that doesn't mean that we, we don't, uh, as it says here, pursue strategic staffing options, particularly staffing options that can potentially provide uh, intensive supports where they're most needed in the wake of the pandemic. But it does mean we have to be thinking about what is a reoccurring cost and what is a, um, and, and what is a, is a one-time expense. On the infrastructure front, and that's typically what we think of when we think of one-time funds is wanting to, to focus on infrastructure. We have made a significant commitment as we uh, discussed at, in January with the, at the full school committee meeting uh, to instructional technology. That's, that is where the bulk of our uh, pandemic related funds went with the exception of our, our sort of crisis HVAC work that needed, that needed to take place at the beginning of this school year. And so we will have to be thoughtful about not um, making sure that we're doubling down on a technology stockpile that, that we've already uh, amassed. And I think we need to think um, more strategically about how do we make sure that that instructional technology is being fully utilized. So that could manifest itself by way of additional professional development and training. It could be program-based initiatives uh, like some of the subscriptions that are designed uh, to, to bridge some of those learning gaps that we talked about. And then at times there will be, there will be some staffing needs and so these are, this is, this is not a, obviously a formal proposal right now to the school committee in terms of um, how we're looking to spend these dollars, but it is uh, hopefully a glimpse into um, our current thinking and how that will influence the conversations we will have at the committee of the whole meetings uh, starting after the April, April vacation. So with each budget group that uh, is, meets internally and then ultimately is presented in the public forum, um, there's, oh, there'll always be a staffing template. And um, if you, again, if you follow school budgets, you know that more often than not, we're talking about personnel and staffing because that's essentially where all of the money goes, that we're a people-oriented organization designed to educate other people. And so that is, that will, has been and will be the, the, the bulk of the, of the funding commitment. Uh, we'll also highlight various fluctuations in budget lines. Um, there will be some of that as it has been, as I understand it in previous years, uh, in Medford. And then we'll talk about the significant priorities and challenges that department heads are identifying uh, as to what they, their departments and their groups need uh, in order to advance that goal of uh, repairing, rebuilding, and reaffirming uh, uh, as necessary in the wake of the pandemic. So um, last point, and I think I've, I've kind of already made this, but I'll just touch upon it very briefly. Um, we don't know exactly the size or the shelf life of the funds. Uh, and so we have to be um, thoughtful, thoughtful about that. We're not up and running at full speed as of yet. So it's hard to know exactly where those gaps are going to have been most exacerbated. And then we know that we'll have some lingering challenges with regard as a result of deferred maintenance. And while I think we're in a significantly better position now from an infrastructure, uh, heavy infrastructure, HVAC type, type things, uh, than we were at the beginning of the school year, we know we have some substantial challenges uh, that will still need to be addressed that are not necessarily related to the pandemic, but uh, the pandemic has uh, focused our attention on on some of them at least. So um, I will scroll back. This is just so everyone can see the timeline again. Um, it's probably somewhat self-explanatory, but these are umbrella categories. So if anyone has any questions, 
uh, regarding sort of what's tucked inside these umbrella areas. I'm happy to address that. I almost put uh, the term et cetera after the uh, one of these, and I realized that could be, uh, I didn't want to suggest in any way that we were diminishing any individual departments. Um, but at, in one way or another, this will represent the entirety of the school of the proposed operating budget for FY22. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. And um, a parent in the chat did ask if there'd be an opportunity for public comment. So Mr. Andre Pina, if you would like to speak, um, we are happy to hear your comment or question. Can you hear me now? Yes, great. Um, yeah, and I, I think there's other parents on the line as well that that have a similar question as, as I'll raise. Um, and, and it's not directly related to the, the materials that David just went through. Um, so if there's if there's another appropriate time to, to discuss it in more detail, I think we're happy to follow up. Um, but there are a number of parents that that have been that have started a discussion around the the availability of, of the after school program. Um, and I've, I've sent a couple of emails. I think a number of parents have reached out on this. And really the, the core of the issue, I think it comes down to the, the transparency of the, of the program. Um, because once we've started sort of asking for specific numbers as to who's in the program, what's the availability of the program to new families, what's the current waiting list, you know, where are parents falling, or, you know, Parents don't even know where they are on the waiting list. Um, and if you look at the, you know, who the program is serving, what you find is that, you know, there's, there's more fourth and fifth graders in the program than kindergartners. And, and to David's point on, you know, bridging the learning gaps, um, you know, I think the students that, that are probably most affected by, by remote learning are some of those youngest children. Um, you know, I have a, a, a kindergartner now, and you know, remote school is is, is extremely challenging. And you know, it, there was a listening session where we heard that there's third graders that that are you know, some of the youngest kids aren't. You know, they're struggling even to to know how to read at this point. Um, and the the after school program is is really outlined as an enrichment program. It's is further support. Um, so I, I know you outlined the, the most vulnerable students and, and, you know, I think you're probably thinking about it differently, uh, but I think the youngest, the kindergartners, the first graders, I would qualify them as the most vulnerable students and some of the students whose basic educational needs, uh, you know, there, there are gaps there. And there are a number of points where, you know, I think, you know, I know this is a budget meeting and in raising this issue, I think to some degree it is a budgetary issue. Um, and yeah, you know, I think there's there's more than 17 families. I think there's 86 families on the waiting list, 17 that, that are starting to organize to discuss this. Um, and really we'd be interested in, yeah, you know, I know this has been a problem for years and years and years and years. Um, and rather than just sort of recognizing it as a pro an existing problem without a solution, discussing other options, both budgetary and otherwise, in order to to really figure out a, a way that this can be addressed to, to create a program that's accessible to the right set of students. You know, in my mind, the youngest students who need the most after-school care, 
who need the who need sort of those learning gaps bridged. Um, I think, and I know, and we recognize that this is a challenging problem. But I know there's there's a number of parents who this is you know, this is one of our top problems um, that that we really need addressed, particularly in in this pandemic environment where it's difficult to find alternatives, uh, where we don't necessarily want to expose our children to other groups of of, of children that aren't in the same school system. So there's a number of issues here. We recognize it's complex. I know there's a number of other parents on the line as well. And Mr. Uh, Kina, um, just for the record, could you state your address and it can be, um, you know, registered? John, Johnson Ave in Medford. Great. Um, I do appreciate what you said. I do see Paulette's hand up, um, member Vanderclute. Yes, I just want to mention um, that one of the real key issues about the after-school program is personnel is getting enough people to cover um, the uh, the students, and that's been a real challenge. Um, uh, so even you know, if you look at enrollment, whatever, uh, obviously the answer is to expand it, but expansion has been tough um, because of um, the lack of people who uh, want want to apply for the relatively low paying jobs. Um, and it's also, it's not just the low pay, it's also the hours. Uh, many of our teachers have already worked a full day, so they're not particularly interested. We've tried students coming in. We certainly bring in a certain amount of high school students, but they need to be over overseen. So um, absolutely what we would like is to be able to expand it to accommodate every family who needs it because that's the answer, but it is challenging. Um, and I also, oh, Mr. Murphy, and I was just going to ask you, and you might know the answer. I do think this is a longer conversation to come up with some solutions or remedies for, because um, as Mr. Kina said, it has been an ongoing issue after school um, program. So I'm not sure if that would be uh, what subcommittee it would fall under um, to have a more robust conversation than under this budget scheduling meeting. I think um, the the there's a number of there's a variety of subcommittees that we could uh, and certainly would like to put this as as an agenda item so we can have a thorough discussion on it. Um, I will say that uh, Ms. Vandercook correctly identified one of the the key challenges that the district has faced in exploring the potential expansion of the program in addition to the odd hours and low pay, um, only one of which frankly we could we can address because one is just sort of structural to the nature of the program. Um, we have issues of infrastructure with regard to capacity at, at least some of the schools. We have within uh, recent weeks begun exploring the possibility of additional um, venues uh, both from partner organizations and um, potentially intern in internal schools in terms of what type of what space could potentially be repurposed, and those are conversations that the central administration is having more or less as we speak uh, with with principals to see how we could potentially create a space in a way that would not be disruptive to the rest of the, of the school's operations. There are some 
uh, questions of equity with from a, a school to school basis as well that need to be addressed. And uh, one of the, the conversations that uh, Assistant Superintendent Galusi and I were having with the director of the program just within the last week were um, thinking through what would happen if we if we found a way to open up additional seats so that the program could grow with the idea being that it continues to be fee-based and therefore could be fiscally sustainable. Um, how would we do that in a way that would not exacerbate some of those potential inequities that are occurring through, uh, across different schools? So uh, I don't think that provides um, answers uh, necessarily uh, to the questions that have raised, but I, I, I hope that it can instill some degree of confidence that these are issues that we are um, in the process of having conversations about and deliberating over whether how we can best address uh, some of the issues that have been raised because um, having, uh, you, you know, you, generally speaking, as an educational opportunity as a public school, we don't want to have a wait list, number one. And in addition to that, we want to make sure that uh, the opportunities are being enjoyed um, as in a, in a robust and equitable manner across all of our elementary schools. So I, I think this is a topic that uh, some of it will touch upon this subcommittee certainly, but I think it's one that the school committee and the community will be hearing a lot more about in the coming weeks and months. Um, Member Vanderkloot. It, it sounds like we will need to be having a separate committee of the whole meeting for this topic. Okay. All right. Yeah, so I don't can, know. I, I don't, I mean, I think you could, the school committee can choose whatever forum they want to entertain the, the conversation in, but it's certainly one that I would expect the administration to be bringing forth additional information and recommendations to the committee um, before the end of this school year. Okay. All right. Thank you. Are there any other um, community members who would like to speak or have any questions about our budget schedule? So, Mr. Murphy, I imagine we'll either move it to a subcommittee or a committee of the whole, but what night would after-school program fall under? Would sure. it be on, under question. elementary ed? Let me, um, I don't think so, actually, but let me, let me check on that. That would be on May 12th, so I think that is where it says... The central office? Yeah, it's in the central office. Um, okay. It would be under. It would be May twelfth, the early education piece. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not sure if you said early education or um, elementary, but it's it is May twelfth. May twelfth. Okay, so for folks about after school program, um, we, I don't want to make any promises, but hopefully we can either move it to a subcommittee or a committee of the whole before May twelfth, and then May twelfth would yeah. would would be when Miss Megan Fidler Carey would be presenting. And that that's just to be clear though. That is specific to the FY22 operating budget. Okay. I fully expect that before and after school programming and some of the decisions that have to be made in preparation for the 21-22 school year will be on the committee's agenda prior to May 12th. We, in our conversation last week, it was we April uh, looked as though when we would have the information we need uh, to bring to bring to the committee. Okay. And again, uh, there's, there are there are a lot of conversations going on about this, so I wouldn't want to rush it and present prematurely. But I think um, at one of the meetings in April, we'll we'll be in a position to do that. Okay, so I'm just trying to think of um, 
the subcommittees, I, um, Ms. Kretz, your buildings and grounds, what else do you have? What other two do you, and you sit on personnel and budget? Personnel, yep. And um, the community engagement, community okay. engagement. And then Paulette, what are the three you're on? Um, curriculum, this one, and... Special ed? Yeah. Well, I forget. Do you want me to get the list and take a look? We used to have support services and it fell under support services. I, right. I, I have the list in front of me if anyone has questions about. Yeah, you want to just read off the titles, Dave? That's rules, policy, and equity is uh, chaired by Mr. Rousseau. Engagement, communications, and strategic planning chaired by Ms. Graham. Curriculum cha chaired by Ms. Vanderkloot. Behavioral health, special ed, and people services chair chaired by Ms. McLaughlin. Personnel and budget chaired by Ms. Stone and buildings and grounds chaired, chaired by Ms. Kress. So we used to have one that was called support services. And um, when they were uh, um, shrunk uh, to a more manageable level, um, that is not as clear. Right. Um, I mean, you know, you could argue it in any, any number of different ways. That's why I said committee of the whole, partly because I think that all the members will be interested uh, in yeah, our, our expectation for the uh, presentation I alluded to earlier would be that we'd be coming to the full school committee. We're certainly happy to present oh, at, okay. so at it's either the other, any of the subcommittees, um, but that was the intention because we, we need to set a fee schedule. And I think there are some other strategic decisions both for next year and in years uh, going forward, in addition to the possibility of uh, repurposing uh, infrastructure. So for all of those reasons, our expectation was that we would be presenting to the full school committee at some point in April. Okay. And so Ms. We, Ms. Ms. I'm sorry, can I just make, there's one other point I think yes. that was raised that I, I think it, the suggestion was made that somehow um, the before and after school programming, that there was no correlation between our overarching goal of bridging the gaps that have been created or exacerbated by the pandemic. And I, I don't know how or what I would have said to suggest that the administration does not see a direct nexus and a strong nexus between the need to, to bridge those gaps and the needs to make sure that these programs are available and are, are growing consistent with student needs. But the point of having an overarching strategic objective in going into the development of the budget process is to make sure that all budgetary priorities are being measured against the challenging circumstances under which we're operating. And so I don't, again, I don't know how or why it would, the inference would be that somehow before an after school program we're, were exempt from that. But I just wanna make very clear that we would look at those budgetary priorities consistent with that moral imperative to make sure that uh, those vulnerable learners, and that's certainly what uh, early education represents are addressed as part of our, our the, the developing the budget. Okay. All right. So I think with, oh, all right. Member Kretz. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to share um, probably a few weeks back, I talked to a parent about the after school program and she has a good idea. And um, in order for like, so it would be almost like a parent cooperative where it's possible that, you know, if parents were on the waiting list because there wasn't enough staff, maybe we could try to, you know, ask some parents if they would be willing to like volunteer one day per week and they could work their schedule. I think something similar happens at like um, some of the um, 
you know, the Catholic schools. I know my parents had a strict day where they had to um, be at the school to do volunteer work. Um, and then it would, you know, kind of offset with the tuition or just they would get volunteer hours and maybe they could put those in at their work. Um, but it was a really, really good idea. And I um, I mentioned to the parent, you know, that, you know, she should share that idea with um, with Megan Fiddler, Carrie, because I think it's a great idea um, having like almost like a parent cooperative where, you know, those parents could volunteer their hours and then, you know, have their strict day. I mean, I think there would have to be a strict contract where they'd have to, you know, even though it's volunteer, they'd have to sign because they have to be, you know, responsible to be there that day. Um, and I, my son volunteered at a similar program, you know, Winchester Hospital, they had a contract for volunteer services. And it was very strict. If you weren't going to be in, you had to find your own replacement. So, you know, it, it's a very good idea. And I, I just wanted to share that. <laughs> Thank you. Kretz. Um, I think at this point, we'll, we'll have to um, work with Dr. Maurice and see if we'll either have it on the agenda for, um, I don't imagine it can be on this Monday, March 22nd, maybe our first meeting in April, I'll call a committee of the whole about it. And I can make sure to reach out to Mr. Kina to give the date and it will obviously be um, published and Member Van de Klute, I see your hand. Yes, I just wanted to ask um, Dave if he could give us an idea what time you had in mind for these dates, the 427, 428, 429? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, there are, we in, in establishing the schedule, we attempted to avoid evenings where there are subcommittees. I, I think there may be one conflict which will require a slightly later start, presumably 6.30 or 7 p.m. Otherwise, I think 5 or 5.30 and whatever time works for the committee. Um, some of them of the umbrella groups will be slightly more extensive or complex than others. I think we probably uh, take that into account in terms of establishing that time. Um, we'd have certainly no objection to a uniform start time, say at 5.30 or 6 p.m. if that's helpful to the committee or to the uh, community. Um, but the other challenge and why I didn't specify, frankly, in the presentation, is that I'm assuming that the Columbus Renaming Advisory Committee will probably be meeting on some of these dates, or potentially could be. And I just wanted to defer to the committee as to whether you want to um, choose a start time that was earlier or later based on uh, the potential scheduling of, of those meetings. Member Kretz? Yes, um, I know in the past, um, you know, these particular meetings are very popular with the public and they, um, you know, they like to join the meetings, be on the live call. So um, I'm just recommending not as early as like four o'clock, because I know when we had those meeting hours um, in the past, that was very hard and difficult for families to, you know, to get on the Zoom call. And I know that the, the meetings are all recorded and they can watch it at another time. But um, I was thinking more around the 5.30 or 6 o'clock time so that, it, you know, that would be, um, you know, recommended just so that families could join if they're working that day. Um, my, just an idea. Thank you, Member Kretz. Uh, uh, the administration has, you know, we can start as late. Um, I mean, we're, we're certainly accustomed to 
to being here on the later end so that we would have no problem with that. Okay, thank you. Any, any final questions or comments? M Member Kretz? Yes, um, I did have one more and, and this came up last year. So when we got the pre-budget materials and it happened a lot last year, um, they came the same day as the meeting. And I, you know, unfortunately I work in the day and a, a few other committee members do. And I didn't even get a chance to look at the materials before the meeting. And it was a little different because our meetings were at four. So, and they were on the same night as the school committee meeting. So, you know, if, if possible, can we get the materials for the pre-budget materials, you know, in advance, you know, at least 24 hours in advance. And then after that meeting, at the end of that week, because I can see we have three meetings in one week. So at the end of that week, if we can get those materials sent to our homes and um, so that we can have the hard copy, because it was very difficult to keep on going back and forth, back and forth, like, to, where was that email? Where did that go? It was very, it was very difficult to go back and just look at the information about the pre-budget because when it when we got to the budget, you know, you had to like scramble where did that go, where it put, you know, and and also maybe have a folder on the shared drive specifically to put the pre-budget materials in, you know, like call it, you know, pre-budget materials, and then they would be in there like labeled elementary education, sorry, and and so on, um, so that some colleagues like to have the online version and for something like this I always like to have the the printed version and I don't have a printer that's really good at my house that I can print the materials so it's it's challenging for me um, and I'm not sure if everybody's in the same boat I mean some people don't want paper at all so even if we could you know reach out you know at our next meeting and just ask colleagues how they feel about do they want a printed copy? Yes or no. And then maybe only those committee members who need a printed copy can get a printed copy after the meeting's presented at the end of the week so that they have it going into the budget meetings. Thank you, members. Mm -hmm. we'll Mr. Murphy. We'll certainly um, commit to having uh, everything 24 hours in advance. And it's a... It, we, I think I speak on behalf of the administration when I say we always prefer to provide as much uh, documentation and as much of the work product that we discussed to pick uh, for the committee in advance as possible. Um, this is a pretty extensive uh, process. Uh, so that, and it's, it's a lot of meetings and a, a fairly full agenda. So I don't want to overcommit as to what we're able to provide in advance, but certainly having a 24-hour period in which to review documents pertaining to the budget seems, but frankly, like the bare minimum. And it will certainly do. Uh, and in, with regard to whatever form, electronically uh, hard copy, I would just members really just need to let us know what their preferences are. We'll um, we'll make sure that they're that they're provided. There there will at times be information that becomes available. Uh, on short notice and we won't have it 
I don't want to hold anything back from the committee if something um, you know is unavailable to, to disseminate prior to that, that time period. But um, I certainly think it's a it's a reasonable expectation that prior to a public discussion, we're able to give you the documentation beforehand. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Are there any other comments or questions regarding the budget schedule for April and May? Okay, no. I think I think that's all that was on the agenda to get through the process and the dates. Would anyone yes. like to make a motion to adjourn? Uh, Mr. Murphy, did you have something else to add? I just didn't, I didn't know if the, um, my impression from the uh, previous meeting of the school committee was that um, there was a hope of uh, budget subcommittee would formally send to the committee of ho the whole, the, the groupings and the schedule. So uh, certainly I don't think you need to, and I don't know of any, any requirement, but just consistent with the previous discussion, you may want to uh, just entertain a motion to, to send these, this timeline to the full committee, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and schedule the committees of the whole consistent with that timeline. I'll make that motion. Great. And I'll second it. Great. I'll take a roll call for the motion to send the dates to the full committee. Member Kretz? Yes. Member Vandekloot? Yes. Member Mastone? Yes. We'll send the dates to the full committee. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And I'm happy to, as I said, we'll be doing a budget update on the closeout of fiscal year 21 this coming Monday. And we could even incorporate that this into that presentation to give people the, a timeline to make sure they know um, what to look forward to in the coming weeks. That's great. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Now, Member Vandergloot, did you have a motion to adjourn? I have a motion to adjourn. Second. And I'll take a roll call to adjourn. Member Kretz? Yes. Member Vandergloot? Yes. Member Mastone? Yes. Well, thank you all for joining us. Hi, um, Oh, happy St. Patrick's Day for tomorrow. Happy St. Patrick's, happy St. Patrick's, happy St. Patrick's Day to you all. Oh.